Welcome to the Wellcast. Life is messy. We're here to help you sort it out. Well, welcome to the Wellcast. I am Jordan. And I'm Mike. Today, we've got uh, the ever so light topic of racial reconciliation. It's a light and fluffy <laughs> episode for everyone. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, obviously this is so relevant right now. And there is so much of our country is having this conversation, good or bad, healthy or not. I think what we want to do, like we had said, is enter into the messiness of life and help sort it out together. So our heart is one, you're going to hear from Brad Bell today, who if you're not familiar with the well, he is the lead pastor here. And Brad's going to be sharing his perspective with us on this issue. He's wrestled with this for a long time. And he's taken a lot of time to relationally invest with people around him to, or, to help change his perspective and then uh, better his idea of scripture. And one thing that I love about this conversation is we're all in process. Like we're all coming from different perspectives, different backgrounds, different views, but we're all trying to get to the same place, which is the place that Christ would want us to be when we talk about this topic of of racial reconciliation. And so Jordan, tell us a little bit, man, where are you coming from? Where are you at? What's the Lord doing in your heart when it comes to this topic? When it comes to race, I I think, you know, I grew up in Pinedale, which if you're familiar with Fresno, especially pre-River Park, uh, is a really rough neighborhood. I mean, my dad left when I was really young. And so we're a white family, you know, I have olive toned skin, but we're all Okies. And so people often mistake me for other mixed race or something like that, but it's just not the case. Took my 23 and me, 66% Irish and 99% European. Okay. So I am white. I am a white man, I, but I grew up in a neighborhood that was extremely diverse. And my experience was that of uh, living with and among Hmong, Hispanic and black people. And um, they took care of us. My mom hadn't worked in 20 years before I was born. So her best option was uh, working as a dental hygienist. And at that time, they made almost no money. And so we didn't make any money. I had a disabled sister and a brother who's in and out of the house. So uh, that, and then my mom remarried, and I got put in Fresno Christian. And so the culture shock, one of having money, of being around primarily just uh, white affluent families was extremely hard. I Honestly, I've lived in the middle my whole life in a lot of ways. And so my formative years then ended up being in that environment. And I would say I come from largely a perspective of uh, colorblindness. Like I don't see color and that's a way to not be racist. You're just kind of avoiding racism, especially coming from Southern families. Yeah. I think we've heard that from people. Yeah. And I think, you know, it was in college when I first came across the idea that maybe biblically being colorblind is not a good perspective. Because when you read God's affirmation of ethnicity, primarily in Revelation, when he's talking about the end of time, we're all standing before the throne of the Lord, and it says that every tribe, tongue, and nation were present. And it doesn't say all white English-speaking people, or, you know, God's not just going to kind of bleach us all and say, this is my people. What he's saying is he upholds and kind of uh, celebrates the diversity and difference among the different races and ethnicities. And that was a light bulb for me in realizing, wow, there's probably a lot of work to be done in the church and also in the world around us. And so I've spent a lot of time deconstructing my idea of race, what I put into that, the stock of it, but then also like, how does the world around me work and how is it structured around that? And if so, what can I do about it? 
Yeah. It's been interesting because for me, where I come from is maybe 96, 97% white, or at least that's how it feels. Simi Valley, yeah, right? Simi yeah, Simi Valley, uh, Southern California. Home of the Ronald Reagan Museum. Oh, yes, Ronald yeah. Reagan Library. Uh, oh, it's, library. It's Sorry. actually fascinating. If you've never been there, you should go. I have. But I started to really process when I got to Fresno what it looked like. And it actually started in Simi Valley for me, where I had this relationship with a youth pastor who was at a different church. And he, he was a black man. And he told me this story one time about him having a car full of his students, all white junior high girls, going to and from a youth event. And he got pulled over right outside the church. And the cop was wondering, like, why are you a black man with all white girls in your car? Like, that doesn't look right. And it took somebody from the church coming out and going, no, no, he's with us for the cop to let him go. Now, I know so many cops who are, who are really good. And I know that that may not have been a primarily, you know, racial, racially motivated thing, but it still is one story that started to touch on me. But I'm also somebody who believes in truth and not opinion. And mm -hmm. so I'm wrestling, man, I'm wrestling with what's true and what's, what's opinion and what's real. And, and how do we look at it through the lens of scripture and I just, you know, I think it's really cool to be at a place where you can be in process yeah. to where you're learning and growing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to agree with everybody just because they say I should, but I, I think it's our responsibility as Christians to always be processing, always be open-handed with what we think because the Lord's going to continue to grow us in that. And so I, it's been a, an amazing thing for me to just even really start to open up and have conversations. And about Mike, you've been kind of sitting down with a cohort of pastors of just all different ethnicities and races. What has that experience been for you guys in processing? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is it's given us relationships with men who don't look like us. And there's so much power in sitting face to face with someone and breaking down stereotypes or biases. And so for us, we're getting to know each other and those are my friends. And it's much easier to sit and listen to your friend yeah. than some pundit on the news. And the reality is you can talk about a concept all day, right? But when you're talking, when that concept is a person you know and their experience, you have to listen. Yeah, it's not abstract anymore. Yeah. It's, it's concrete. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've been convicted of is as Christians, we're called to be peacemakers mm -hmm. in, in so much as it depends on us, live at peace with all man. Like the, there, there's this, this need for us to approach things in, in a way that we look at it and go, okay, how do I love everyone involved to the best of my ability? Yeah. And I think as Christians, we're, I heard it somewhere, I don't remember where, but we're called to live in the gap. We're called to bring both sides together, to be the set apart group mm -hmm. in this world that doesn't look like everybody else. And I think uh, the problem with that is when you live in the gap, you get punched from both sides. And it's messy. Yeah. It's messy. And we have well, to be willing to do that for the sake of the gospel. We are walking through a season where it's probably a lot more popular to take a party line than it is to say, what does the kingdom say about that? How does it inform my politics? Yeah, and I think right? we have to, to be willing to step outside mm -hmm. of the comfort zone of partisan politics yeah. and ask the hard question, which is not what does the Republican Party or what does the Democrat Party ask me to be about, but what does Jesus ask me to be about? Mm -hmm. And let your Christianity, your heart for Christ, inform everything else in your life. And I think the church, 
loses its teeth for its relationship to the world and its impact and mission when we wed and marry ourselves to politics before the kingdom. Yeah, and let me let me say one more thing maybe before we jump into our conversation with Brad, but I think the elephant in the room for this conversation is that this is three white men mm-hmm. having a conversation on race. Yeah. And while a lot of people would say, well, that's imbalanced, I think we would say this is a good thing because when white men, white evangelical men have this conversation, this is where growth happens because we're, we're talking about things we're wrestling with. And I would say not only that, but this is just the beginning of a conversation yeah. that's happening throughout our church. This is part one of an ongoing discussion. I think it's, yeah, and it's important along those same veins to realize that like Mike and I both will not agree with every single thing that Brad thinks because we are our own humans with our own experiences. But in the foundation and the core of our hearts and beliefs, our devotion to Christ will compel us to almost all of the same conclusions in that we need to be that middle ground. Yeah, and I think as we get into this conversation with Brad, you're gonna see his heart is that he's still wrestling. He's still wrestling with what it looks like and he has convictions and he has thoughts and he has opinions, but he knows he's not done, that the Lord is still working on him. And so as we uh, enter into that conversation with him, uh, listen with those types of ears. Yeah, I would encourage you to not listen to this to either confirm your idea of who Brad is or to support your own ideas, but to say, let me just wrestle with what's talked about here. Yeah, and I think this is a great conversation for us to have. So let's jump in to our conversation with Brad on racial reconciliation. Well, we are back for episode two with Brad again. So blessed to have you here. And in the house. Yeah, he's in the house. <laughs> In the studio, I guess. That's right. Uh, well, it's good to be here with you guys. Well, yeah. He, Brad just dropped some serious bars, and now we're going to do a podcast. That's right. Oh, and for, uh, what is that? I'm too old to know what that means. A bars is a rapping term. Sorry. Oh, yeah, thank I didn't you. Know. He listens to country music mostly. So I do. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to ask my kids what that means. Can I get a real quick explanation of all the music you had on your phone in staff meeting yesterday? Oh, it's the best. So yeah, you know, you can make those custom alarms on your phones. Okay. And so I, I found... Um, uh, garage band at one point, and I was like, "Ooh, I bet I can make really awkward this and funny alarm stuff." Yeah. You can start a side gig. I've got a bunch of them, yeah. and so depending on how I'm feeling, I change my alarms accordingly. And so this is I've like got a mix. Waking up in the morning alarm. Waking up in the morning, or hey, don't forget to go do that, or so and so called you. It's their ringtone now. Or <laughs> it yeah. was weird when you played uh, "Man, I Feel Like a Woman." <laughs> yes, yes. That's well, you know. weird. Yeah, it's, yeah. So we uh, we approached Brad and said, "Hey, we want to do a podcast. We want you to be our guest. What do you want to talk about?" And Brad was like, "Hey, how about some light topics? Let's start with racial reconciliation." <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, you care about this, and within all that, why did you choose this thing? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I mean, obviously, if you look at our culture today, it is an issue that everybody is concerned about or has hot sports opinions about or is posting about. Do I put a black square? Do I not? Do I hashtag BLM? Do I not? What, what does it mean for me to be a racist or an anti-racist? What does it mean to be a part of the yeah, world? Yes, violence is violence. Yes, yeah. all of that. And so it's like, okay, you know what? 
this has been an issue for obviously many, many decades, right? Probably since man. Absolutely. Was, yeah. Yes. And I'd love to get into that. But obviously in our culture today, I think it's just a hot button issue that uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to see how does the gospel and how does the word of God frame our conversations mm-hmm. in a way that can be both grace and truth and lead us to maybe where the gospel speaks to this. Because I think we're being pulled into polls, right? Are you a BLM guy or a Blue Lives Matter guy? I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, where's the gospel in that? So anyway. Constantly having to choose sides. Yes, yes. And yet I think we need to embrace that there is certainly injustice in our world. There is racist people in our world. And so we we need to identify that. But I think there's a different way the Lord might pull us through this uh, driven by the gospel. The well has been vocal on this issue for years now. And, you know, it's coming into the media right now with all the the things that have been going on. How and why did you start talking about it? Yeah. So we first got involved. I say we, because, you know, in some ways, one of the pluses and the minuses of being a catalytic leader is what you get fired up about, you tend to bring other people with you. And so the Trayvon Martin shooting happened years ago, and it obviously caused a huge buzz. And so I sort of started taking issue with that and, okay, what happened? And in asking some of the typical, typical questions, at least people in my community, people who look like me start asking, what happened? Why did it happen? What were the facts around it? And it's interesting, I'm learning a lot perspective-wise that my friends in the black community, they don't see it like that. To, to them, it's much more communal. Mm. And so right off the bat, I'm, I'm realizing that there's something happening here that I'm not connecting to. And so how do, I, how do I be a part of that? Well, anyway, there was a forum that was offered of pastors at Westside Church of God in Southwest Fresno, and it was predominantly a panel of pastors. And I want to say Pastor Franklin from uh, Cornerstone and I were the only white pastors, but because he's Pastor Franklin from Cornerstone, I was kind of the only North Fresno white dude. And mm. question number one from the moderator was, do you value ethnic reconciliation and do you see it represented in your church, Pastor Bell? Yikes. Um, they started you off with an easy question. Oh my gosh. Yes. And down the way from me- Record and, scratch. Yes. Down the way from me was a guy named DJ Kreiner, whom I had never met. No relation to the record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no relation to the record <laughs> He's scratch. not actually a DJ. No, yeah. That's yes. his first name. Uh, and so anyway, he's down, down the uh, table from me. And uh, you know, I said something and then he kind of backed me up and then he said something and I was like, yeah, I agree with that. And I thought, I got to get to know that guy. And so that sparked our friendship. And uh, here we are now years later. And uh, unfortunately, in some ways, this thing has been cyclical in that you see an issue of injustice and now people react to it. And so now, of course, when Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, when those two situations occurred, it came back to the forefront yet again. And it, I don't think it was ever uh, you know, gone, but I think it's just back in the forefront. So here we are again. I want to talk about how this comes to bear on the life of the Christian, the person who's listening to this podcast and, and they've expressed faith in Christ. They're, they're walking with Jesus, but they're wrestling with what does this look like? Because right now we're all part of one kingdom. All, all believers are part of one kingdom, but our country has divided into two political parties. So how, as, as a Christian, how, as, as a believer, how do you sift through the things of the world and the things of the kingdom when it comes to the racial conversation going on today? Yeah, good question. I think we need to start by recognizing the idea that race is a cultural construct. It is not a biblical construct. It came into being in the early 40s. There is no scientific research that makes a distinction of races. That, that's not a thing. Biologically, there are no races. We are yeah. all part of one race, the human race. 
And in fact, from a DNA standpoint, uh, it's almost biologically meaningless because we share, regardless of your, quote, ethnicity, we share 99.9% of the same DNA code. And so we are one race, the human race. So when you talk about races, um, that, that is a cultural construct. The biblical concept seems to begin in Genesis 1, this idea that God created mankind in his image. So the one race, the human race, was created in the image of God, bearing, because of the image of God, a shared value, worth, and dignity. And the term dignity is the idea of the irreplaceable value of who we are, just as being humans. Now, we don't all look alike. We are all the same color, though. That's the other thing. I think people say, well, I'm a different color. No, you're not a different color. We're all the same color. We just have different shades of melanin. So this guy might have more melanin and he's darker skin, and this guy might have less melanin and he's lighter skin. But the reality is there's no varying color. There's no purple people out there. Now, for the sake of understanding sort of groups, we say, oh, this guy's white or this guy's brown or this guy's black, but all of that is the shade, shade rather of the same color. And the reason I share that is if we come back from a Christian worldview, to your point, to the scriptures, and we realize we are all as humans of one race created in the very image of God, regardless of your melanin, then it bears with it this idea of value and of dignity and of worth. Acts 17, 26 says that God made from one man every nation of mankind. Uh, Malachi 2.10 says that do we not all have one father and has not one God created us? The answer, of course, is yes. And so I think for the Christian, we've got to start there. And instead of going, hey, culturally, you grew up in the South, or you grew up here, or you grew up white, or you grew up Latino, and so therefore we're so different. It's like, okay, well, that may be the case, but truthfully, let's start with a biblical foundation of what do we share in common? And if we can start there with the value of the image of God, I think it changes the conversation a little bit. So how do we take that realization? You know, like tonight I'm preaching on Ephesians 2, 12 through 17, right? Yes. And so Paul sees this church in Ephesus that's divided Jew and Gentile. And he's like, look, tearing down these walls of hostility is one of the biggest reasons that Jesus came. So how do we as Christians enter from a place of division, which our our world starts at, right? We pick our tribe, we run with our tribe. How do we differentiate from the political messages, the news, the media, and what the message of God is in being agents of reconciliation. Yeah, absolutely. I think we got to understand that the arc of the Bible, the arc of the Bible is creation, fall, uh, recreation, consummation. And that is the flow from Genesis to Revelation. So if you look at it through that lens, if God makes from one man all the, the human race, then where do we get ethnicities? Because the Bible talks about that. And if you play out the early parts of the book of Genesis after the flood, You've got three descendants of Noah that come off of the boat after the flood, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it's those three brothers that really populate now various ethnicities, because the whole world changes after the flood. Literally, the globe changes from one landmass to various continents, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got now a migration of peoples moving around the earth. So the sons of Japheth become more of the, the like the Greek, German, Celtic, Armenian populations, if you will. Descendants of Shem or the Asiatic tribes. The line of Abraham comes from there. Abraham's from Iraq, ancient Mesopotamia. Then you've got the descendants of Ham that are more the African nations. We know from the descendants of Ham, 
nations are represented like Ethiopia, Egypt, Libya, etc. So we know that from Genesis 10 and 11, ethnicities come. But what's interesting is in Genesis 12, to your point, God calls Abraham out of Iraq and says, you know what? I'm going to start a people with you and you're going to be my people and your descendants are going to be my descendants. And from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And from that, we get a distinction of Jew, the descendants of Abraham, and what our Bible calls in the New Testament, at least, Gentile, which is ethnically other. Mm-hmm. And so from a ethnic standpoint, the Bible's perspective tends to be Jew and Gentile. It's not to say there's not other people groups, but the point is there's the Jew and the Gentile. So when you get to your Ephesians passage, Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus about the beauty of, remember, creation, fall, recreation, consummation. And Paul is speaking to the New Testament reality of recreation, that what God is doing, the fall, if there's creation and we're one race, the human race, and with the fall of sin, separation comes, what recreation does is brings us back to that unity that is the original creation. And so Paul's saying that he has broken down the dividing wall, that all of these things that separated ethnic Jew from ethnic other... He has brought us together under the headship of Jesus Christ. And if we as Christians can recognize the reconciliation we already have in Christ, then we're not necessarily drawn to the distinctions of this ethnicity versus that ethnicity. We're drawn to the unity that is being a person of Christ, recreated by Christ, back into his kingdom under his lordship, living out what God originally intended, which is that we would be one race, the human race. And so why is this an important conversation for the church to be having uh, across America? And it seems like most people in the church are either you feel very guilty and you almost put on a coat of shame. And so like, I'm going to post everything. I'm going to do everything. Let everyone know I'm not the bad guy. Yeah, it's very polarized. Or you get the person that's, I'm going to lean into this. I have a black friend, so I'm not racist, right? Yeah. And so like, I mean, how do you as a Christian just say, look, I'm, Jesus has that third way. Yeah. And it's not this or that, it's his way. Absolutely. And I think if you look at our culture, the lane in which, and I'll just use me as an example, the lane in which I am given permission to interact about things of race is very narrow. Mm -hmm. I have to use certain words. I have to say certain things. I have to use a certain language. And if I begin to get outside of that lane I'm immediately being castigated as you're exercising white privilege, you're exercising dominant narrative or majority culture, or you're now racist. I'm like, okay, time out. So I'm either in this small lane of Ta-Nehisi Coates, Ibram X. Kendi, Nicole Hannah-Jones. I'm either in this lane of anti-racist or I'm racist. Now I'm thinking, okay, where's the cross come to play with that? Because when you tell an entire culture, you have no right to speak. Your role is to listen. Is that not in its very nature racist? And so we're we're losing the scriptures in this to say, whoa, 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 wait a second. We're allowing the voices of culture to drive this narrative. So the first thing I would say to believers is, well, you got to be really careful what you're listening to. And we've got to come back to the text. We've got to come back to the Bible. And so I think there's a cultural urgency here that says the voices of anti-racism, air quotes, anti-racism, or the woke culture isn't always biblical. I'm not saying there's ill intent. I'm not saying there's not some healthy things in those movements. Like take BLM, for example. 
The BLM concept of Black Lives Mattering, I think, is absolutely critical. So why do Black Lives Matter? Well, because Genesis 1 says we're all created in the image of God. So they have dignity. We, as the human race, have dignity Mm -hmm. because of God. But when you look at where the Black Lives Matter has gone, and it's interesting, um, their website used to say that they were anti-nuclear family, pro-LGBTQIA, anti-male headship, and really sort of tip the hat to the Marxist roots mm-hmm. of BLM, which, which is really an expression of critical Pretty race there. Yeah. Very much so. But they realized they, they weren't gaining traction, I would assume, they weren't gaining traction with some in the Caucasian community, and truthfully, some in the African-American community. They're going, hey, I'm not down with that. They've since tried to, to modify that a little bit. And the interesting thing is, you know, when these movements are coming and there's a ton of shaming and virtue signaling and pressure. Yeah, I don't I don't like Instagram that much. And I'm constantly thinking I should be posting something. Like I look at somebody and I'm like, oh no. You know, like if somebody looks at it, do they think I don't care about the cultural movement, you know? Absolutely. And do you remember when when everybody posted the black square? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I walked around my house for 15 minutes staring at my Instagram I wondering if I- was three days late to that. Yeah. I was like, oh no. How dare you? What did I do? Yeah. <laughs> what did and, I not do? And I right? chose not to. Yeah. And, uh, and really felt like, boy, I'm going to take some heat for this. That's not a biblical conversation on race. Mm-hmm. That, that is a totally culturally hijacked conversation. Now, here, here's well, the challenge. And, uh, and real quick. Yeah, please. Does it, I, my heart is, look, I work with students. And there's a ton of this idea of like, I, I'm a slacktivist. Like, I would like to post this thing. And that's my racial reconciliation deed for the day. I would love to at least say... That's, you know, one thing. And that's good if that's something you're passionate about. But does that do anything in your mind? No, I, I don't think so much at all. I mean, is, does it raise awareness at best? Yeah. But uh, no, black lives have not been helped because people posted the black square. Because some white soccer mom posted the black square, I don't think that really changes the conversation around race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think in some ways it's virtue signaling. Now, here's the caution though, and, and I, I want this to be loud and clear to everybody listening. I think it's very easy for a quote unquote passionate white evangelical male yeah. to speak in the tone that I'm speaking in and people assume that I don't care about the issue mm-hmm. or the black story. And th- that's where I want to say, hey, I, I have even recently... Um, had really hard conversations with some in the black community whom I love, who've said, hey, man, you got to be careful. In fact, that was what one guy said, I think seven times in a row, you got to be careful. You got to be careful because he values me. He loves me. And he goes, look, as my brother, as a black man in our community, when you speak the way you speak, sometimes it sounds dismissive. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh man, that's a good word. Thank you. And so please don't mishear this as being dismissive at all. This is not a white evangelical dismissing the issues of race. This is a biblical evangelical saying, what does the Bible say about this conversation? Because if there's issues of inequality and injustice that are something that we can be aware of as a community, I think the gospel would require us being neither Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, or female, but all are one in Christ, that we need to lo- we need to rally with our brothers and sisters in Christ to fight for the powerless. Like Micah 6, 8, right? We're called to do what the Lord requires of us, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And I've seen you walk that out in relationship. That's one of the things that I hope people who are listening here is, This is a battle that's going to be won when we tether ourselves to the text, 
but also open ourselves up to relationship with people who don't look or act or talk like us. So how has that played a role in, in your progress through this issue? Yeah. Well, I think the assumption would be that, uh, you know, most people uh, in the white community, especially the white evangelical community are just watching Fox news. So whatever mm-hmm. Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson says, you know, they're on board with, or, you know, the new in vogue Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Um, like we're all just kind of mindless sheep. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be fair, I, I think Ben Shapiro, for example, is brilliant. Uh, and I, I really enjoy his perspective on things, but the assumption is that then we're not entering in and actually hearing the stories. And so I've tried to be very intentional to do a couple of things and, and to be candid, there are guys that are far more engaged in this than even I am. So I, I'm, I'm not saying this to give a pat on the back, but simply to say, I'm, I'm trying to do the work yeah. as many call you to do the work. So I'm, mm. I'm developing relationships intentionally. I'm reading things I wouldn't normally read. I'm listening to people that I don't necessarily agree with because I want to understand where people are coming from. I'm having conversations, some of which are hard for me, where people go, hey, this is what you said and this is how I felt. Like, oh man, thank you for helping me see what has been a blind spot in my life. And we're having those conversations. And the challenge with everything, right, is this, how do you balance grace? How do I show preference to one another in honor? How do I be diligent to preserve the unity and the bond of peace? And yet, how do I speak truth? And uh, so I've been, I've been trying to work that out uh, as best I can. Is there any place within that that you feel like you've been humbled by that experience? I think the passion and the disregard, the, the perceived disregard of the issue. So I, look, I made a comment here and, you know, this is the story of my life. Once you say something stupid, you should just leave it. But let me remind you of what I said that was stupid. So I was talking <laughs> in an Instagram live, which in my perspective was sort of an offline, non-pulpit, non-Bible expositional, like, let's just kind of talk about it. kind of like this. And, uh, and yet, so I was making the comment about professional athletes, specifically LeBron James, who made a couple statements that I found to be factually hard to swallow. So LeBron James talking about systemic injustice and the system that holds down people of color. I found that difficult to take coming from him, considering he's a pretty wealthy, pretty affluent, pretty influential guy. And then in that, he made a second statement that African-American men are being hunted in the streets by police. I found that factually very hard to swallow. And the problem is millions, of course, followers, people love him, call him the king. Some do. I'll give him lowercase king. I'll give him basketball king. But anyway, he's my, pretty good at it. He's at basketball. He is at social issues. I'm not convinced what he said was helpful to the conversation. And so I said that. And of course, uh, some of my friends in the black community were, were hurt by that. And so even now I, I, I want to follow those statements by saying, I don't want that to feel dismissive of the black struggle or of the black experience, or to disregard people's personal stories. Because driving while white is not a thing. Mm -hmm. Driving while black apparently is, where people are getting pulled over, people of color getting pulled over, and and mistreated or treated unfairly, at least. Well, that's that's not right. Uh, The fact that I can go into a auto loan or an auto dealer, and if I'm pre-approved for a loan, I'm probably going to buy a car. And yet, my buddy Brian King has a story, personal story, where he went in pre-approved for a loan, went to 10 different dealerships up and down Blackstone. They turned him away. Mm. He calls Danny Herwalt, his white ally. Danny goes into the first dealership with him. He buys a car. That's not right. Yeah. No. And so I, I don't want my comments to be dismissive of the black experience, but we do need to understand our 
black men in this country being, quote, hunted by the police. Now, he might have been, to give him, him being LeBron James, the benefit of the doubt, speaking hyperbolically. But the number of African-American men that were killed by police last year, I want to say it was like 15, according to the Washington Post. So out of 43 million. So I, I just think we need to bring the whole story to bear as well. Yeah. And one more thing before we sort of wrap up, uh, because I, you know, I, I started this today talking about race being a cultural concept. And then the idea that ethnicities really come out of Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. And so therefore sort of uh, our various stories of origin and family of heritage really have their roots in the early pages of Genesis and then are fleshed out over time. Mm -hmm. But remember, we have to keep in mind the grand narrative of the Bible, creation, fall, recreation, and consummation. So in the creation aspect of it, before sin, we're created as one race, the human race, living in relationship with God. And then comes the fall. And with the fall, we start gathering around more of our differences versus this one race, the human race. And so when the gospel comes in with recreation, and we've talked about Galatians 3.28 before, that there is neither Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, but all are one in Christ. We need to keep in mind that even though we are in Christ, it doesn't mean, for example, in that passage, that you lose your maleness or femaleness meaning you're still a male or you're still a female. You don't lose your Greekness or your Jewness. You don't lose your slaveness or your freeness. No, in fact, what we do is we bring those things with us under the headship of Jesus Christ, which simply means that what defines us, the characteristic that defines us in this recreation that is in the gospel is not our ethnicity. And I think in this conversation, especially, we get this twisted. We get so caught up in this idea of ethnicity, of I am a Latino, or I am a white dude, or I am a, from the black community. And we need to keep in mind that as followers of Jesus, all of that is shaped by who we are in Christ. And so I am a Christian who happens to be a white male, or I am a Christian who happens to be in the black community, or a Christian who happens to be Asian. And the reason that's important is because our ethnicity then becomes a subset of who we are in Christ. Now, why is that critical? Because when we read through the consummation and revelation of what we're going to experience one day, Revelation 7:9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation. There it is standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes. So look, the ethnicity that we bring to the church is a gift. If we were all from one ethnicity, it would be so boring and the food would probably suck. But the beauty is we bring all of this together, our Asian heritage, our Latino heritage, our black heritage, our white heritage of whatever that means. Because by the way, most white folks are mutts. Like we're from all over the place. Like I'm Swedish or French or German or Irish or whatever. But the point is we bring all of these ethnicities together to make this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. And in all of our ethnicities together, reflecting the headship of Jesus Christ, that is the beauty of the gospel. And one of the things I'm concerned about, and I'll just close with this because um, there's so much more we could say, all, all of the beauty of the gospel, the concern I have is so many people now are trying to put ethnicity first, and we just need to remember that it's ethnicity second, it's Christ above all. Well, I think we could talk about this all day. Like, and I'm grateful uh, that I get to work at a church that's not afraid to have this conversation. And so thank you for being willing to, to engage in this conversation. And I'm grateful that we can sit and talk about this. Thanks for being here today, Brad. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And hopefully uh, this helps shape the conversation a little bit as we try to process these cultural issues through a biblical lens. Of course. Thanks, Brad. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Wellcast. As always, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about us. 
For more information about The Well Community Church, visit thewellcommunity.org.